How are you guys doing? You guys doing good? It's really an honor to be here with you. I'm really excited um, just to be here with you this morning. So today we're in our series, our summer series, Games People Play. We're looking at different games, maybe games we played when we were kids or games that are pretty well known, and really looking at one major theme with each of those games. Today, our game is Angry Birds. How many of you guys know about Angry Birds? Okay, you guys know. It's, an, it's a game that's really an app. You play it on your phone or on your tablet. It really got popular several years ago. They even made a movie about it. Um, if you have no idea what Angry Birds is, that's okay. I have some screenshots just so we can imagine like we were playing Angry Birds this morning. So I have some screenshots I want to show you. The game takes these cute looking angry face birds and the player catapults them into a standing structure of some kind. The goal is to knock it down and crush these also cute little green pigs. The more destructive it is, the better. The more points that you receive, it's Angry Birds. Angry little birds, they're pretty cute. They're pretty cute. Today what we're really talking about is anger and offense. And it's kind of an intense subject, it is, um, but it's really, really important that we talk about it. We're just scratching the surface, really, of the topic, but I just want to encourage us to continue um, the conversations about about this, because it's so important. We're living in a really um, angry and offended season, it feels like. Culture at large feels awfully divided to me. Um, there, it's just the era of like politically correct, of knee-jerk reactions. There feels like there's scandal everywhere. There's lines kind of being drawn. We're either in or you're out. You're either with us or you're against us. We're living in a world that feels very easily offended. And we have opportunities to be offended or offend every minute of every day if we want to. It's not hard to find examples of anger and offense in our world today. And I would say anger is probably the heart of all violence, maybe the birthplace of all violence. If our anger is not in check, it can be destructive to us, to our relationships for sure, to the church, absolutely. You know, Dallas Willard said that anger is the most fundamental problem in human life. Anger is the most fundamental problem in human life. It's important, even critical, that we talk about it. Now, anger is something that we all feel. In the Pixar movie Inside Out, anger is one of the five core emotions alongside joy and sadness and disgust and fear. So here's a short little peek at how the talented folks at Pixar depict anger. Take a look. Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? We'll get to know your emotions. When things go wrong, anger is there. This is anger. He will make sure the world knows anger is in control. But what you really need to watch out for is when he's out of control. Get to know all your emotions with Disney Pixar's Inside Out. Oh, it's cute. Isn't that funny? It's a cute, it's a cute movie. If you've never seen it, I really recommend that you see it. It's a good one. But we see anger, you know, he's loud, and fire comes out of his head, and he takes the controls all the way up. And anger is like that. Anger makes us do that. We see places that the Bible discusses anger. In the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, it is always associated with foolishness. 
And a fool, in ancient biblical terms, was someone that did not know how to navigate life very well. It's not a compliment to be called a fool. It's still not a compliment to be called a fool. But Ecclesiastes 7.9 says that anger resides in the lap of fools. Anger is natural. We're all going to feel anger. But where anger resides, where it hangs out, stays a while, dwells and steeps into something more, that's foolishness. You know, residual anger or offense can really start to take over, leading to things like bitterness, resentment, even vengeance. And those things are dangerous. They're only going to steal from us life and freedom and joy. They will. So something to know about me, a little bit about me. One of my favorite topics of conversations is pet peeves. You guys know about pet peeves? These are the things that annoy us. They get under our skin. They even drive us crazy. And I think they're hilarious. I think it's very funny to talk about it. So point one in your outline today, what are your pet peeves? How about that for church notes this morning? What are your pet peeves? I love them. I love to talk about them. I think your pet peeves say a lot about you. You want to get to know someone better? Ask them about their pet peeves. You know, I know a lot of the pet peeves of some of the pastors and staff around here. I could really out some people, but I wouldn't want you doing that thing in front of them. You know, not that you would do that. You wouldn't do that. I'm just, I'll just talk about me. How about that? I have so many pet peeves. When someone asks me, hey, Mackenzie, what's your pet peeve? I'm like, well, give me a category. I have hundreds. It really, it really feels that way. I know this about myself. As the young people are saying, I have no chill. You know, I know that. I'm confessing that before you. Now, my husband, Scott mentioned him. He's the absolute best. Like, I'm obsessed with him, which is probably good since we're married. But I want to show you a picture. Some of you know him. He's the middle school pastor around here. His name is Justin Matthews. That's a picture of us in our... 90-pound dog, Finley. Aren't we cute? Yeah, cute. Yeah, that's us. Something to know um, about us. And we're going to say the category is in the car. Here's a category for your pet peeves. In the car, I am what they call a backseat driver. Guilty. I know best. What can I say? How many, you can raise your hand if you would say backseat drivers are a pet peeve of yours. Yeah, a lot of you. I would also raise my hand if someone else is the backseat driver and it's not me? I know. Awful. Terrible. But anyway, bless my husband. When we're in the car, he's the kind who doesn't really believe. I like to say he has a poor theology when it comes to windshield wipers. Okay? The rain will come, and he doesn't feel as though we need to use the windshield wipers. He will say, it's fine. We can see. And I will be over here in the passenger seat taking deep breaths, really trying to call on all the peace I can, all the serenity that I have, until I just cannot anymore. And I reach over and I turn the windshield wipers on myself. (laughs) Terrible. I know. I know. Or in the winter, when there's frost on the windshield, I am the type that believes you should scrape your windshield to near perfection. Full visibility is the Lord's way. (laughs) Amen. Right? My husband, bless him, he will scrape a hole the size of a football. And I, I'm not exaggerating for effect here, an actual football. And he will claim that he can see fine with full conviction. And I will have a tantrum like a child. 
it's terrible, I know. But it's funny, I have so many pet peeves, I know, I know. But pet peeves make for really great conversation. So I'd encourage you later today at lunch, maybe bring it up with some people you're around, be like, what's your pet peeves? I promise you, you will laugh. I promise you will. Now there's some pet peeves I hear a lot. Like driving slow in the left-hand lane, a lot of us don't like that, turns out. Squeezing the toothpaste in the middle, you know, some people don't like that, turns out. And those things can be funny. There are annoyances, but sometimes those annoyances can settle in a little bit and they can really start to affect us. What starts as a small annoyance can turn deeply offensive, looking more like bitterness, resentment, vengeance. Justin and I had a season where we lived in Southern California. Lovely, it was a lovely place to live. And I remember watching the news in Southern California and I was always fascinated by the news stories because it's like a combination of e-news and criminal minds together is the news in Southern California. But I remember regularly, almost weekly, I would see stories on the news about road rage induced shootings. And I remember the first time being like, that happens? And then it just happened so much, I was like, that's like a thing, how did it get to that? Maybe what starts as a small annoyance can turn deeply offensive. So point two in your outline today, what offends you? Why does it offend you? What offends you, why? I really hope that you take time to think about this question. This week, um, spend some time here thinking really, what are they? What are the things that actually offend you? Why do they offend you? How did they get to be that way? I encourage you to pray over this. Ask God to reveal what those things are and why. He might reveal stuff in you you didn't even know that you were carrying. It's so easy to see the hard stuff in other people. It's very easy to point out offense in other people. But I just want to challenge you to try to be introspective here this week. This is, a, this is a big question. Throughout the Gospels, we have so many instances where we see offense. Jesus, in his way, offended a whole lot of people. One of these moments is in Matthew 15 with some religious leaders. I want to look at that with you this morning. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Side note here, um, I'm pretty sure this is our worship pastor, Cameron Davidson's pet peeve. He's a little bit of a germaphobe, you know. I did just out someone. I said I wasn't going to. One time I was with Cameron, he put a glove on while he was bowling, kind of. Germaphobe. Anyway, anyway, anyway. It's neither here nor there. Doesn't like that. Doesn't like when people don't wash their hands before they eat. So this question... It comes to Jesus. Why do your disciples do this? I think it was one of those questions that's a little bit more like a statement. Like it's like, hey, stop that kind of question. You know what I'm saying with that? The Pharisees were made uncomfortable um, by the disciples breaking their rules and traditions. You know, many of the religious elite at this time, they would take an Old Testament law, which in this case was a ceremonial requirement for priests to wash their hands before eating so that they would be pure before God. And the religious elite would say, yeah, we should believe that's just for all of us. Like everybody, we should all just be doing that. The other common belief and practice at that time was if you ate something off limit, something they would say is ceremonially unclean. You ate something unclean, you came in contact with something or someone unclean, you would become unclean. They literally refused to associate with anything 
unclean. They were so serious about this, so much so that they maybe missed the point, which Jesus responds to boldly here in verse 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Ooh, this would have been so offensive. Verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This group of Pharisees were annoyed by the behavior of the disciples. Pharisees were offended by a lot of things. You could have called them like the serious religious. But their offense really permeated into their worldview. It affected how they valued and treated and viewed people. They missed the point. Their offense moved from a matter of behavior to a matter of the heart, which is what Jesus brings to light here. Out of the heart comes evil things. Sometimes even disguised as justified things. Sometimes we are justified in why we are offended, and we are still missing the point. So are we curious with what's going on under the surface of our frustrations, of our annoyances, of our offenses? You know, we have got to be careful, especially in the narratives that we tell about people, that we tell or we believe. It is really easy to other people. You know what I mean by that? to label or dismiss or distance ourselves from whoever those people might be for you. Even without meaning to, um, we can feel superior to people who are different from us or people we don't understand. And we have got to be careful with that. Because God is a God of new beginnings for all of us, all the time. He adores all of us. Like, he's got each of our pictures in his wallet. You know what I'm saying? Even folks who we do not understand, even folks we don't like, even folks we'd say straight-up enemies, he adores all of us. That is his heart. Are we so connected to the heart of God to the point that we see the world, that we see people the way that he does? You know, for the last few months, I have tried to be intentional to ask God for his perspective because I'm aware that sometimes I get it wrong. And it's been pretty profound for me. I've had feelings, bad ones. And I practiced the prayer, what do you see, Lord? What do you see? And things that I would have labeled as bad, the Lord will say adored. People, maybe, that I would label, whether I say it out loud or not, as too whatever, too much, too far, too broken, the Lord will say, not done yet. It's leveled me flat, 
a few times in humility because I don't see the whole picture. And I am not qualified to declare things that I do not know or do not understand. So let's be curious about our hearts, about what's going on under the surface, to be committed to fighting hard against becoming hard-hearted. I don't want to miss it. And I want to be willing to say, hey, I might be wrong here. Let's be willing to do that. I don't want to miss the heart of God. Point three in your outline today, as followers of Jesus, we are called to imitate him. And Jesus was hard to offend. Called to imitate him and he was hard to offend. For those of you that are here today and you're just checking out church, you're checking out Jesus, you don't know how you got here, someone dragged you here. Um, To you, we just want to say that you really are so welcome here. We are so glad that you are here, and I just want to encourage you to wrestle with the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. We want you to know that this is a safe place to ask questions, like your questions are allowed. They're not off limits here. We would love to process them with you, and I want you to know that you can belong here without believing all this stuff yet. We really are so glad that you are here. But if you're here and you consider yourself a Christian— a follower of Jesus, a Jesus person, um, this is a significant invitation for you to be imitators of Christ, to model your life after him. I want to take a, a moment to look at a few snapshots of Jesus and his interactions with people. You know, throughout scripture, Jesus regularly interacted with people that culture shunned or set aside he, in the margins, for sure. He entered socially forbidden territory, scandalous even. And there are places where Jesus, I think, could have been offended, and he's just not. People he could have been offended by, and he's just not. Other places where he is offended, and I'm a little surprised. So I'm going to breeze over some of these, like snapshots, quick. But I want you to know they're in your outline. If you would like to reference these later this week, maybe study this on your own, I encourage you to do that if you'd like to. So looking at this through the lens of we are called to imitate him. Jesus crossed racial and social barriers when he initiated with the promiscuous woman at the well. He touched lepers who were sick people. They were highly ostracized from the community, um, presumed highly contagious, definitely ceremonially unclean. So Jesus touching them would have made him unclean in the eyes of Pharisees for sure. And he touched and healed and embraced them. Jesus invited a Roman tax collector who was the literal oppressor of the poor to be in his closest group of friends and followers. Jesus heals and restores dignity to the scary guy who was demon-possessed, living in the tombs, self-mutilating, cutting himself. The dude was terrifying. People were afraid of him. Jesus was not afraid of him or offended by him. He heals and restores dignity to him. He lets a sinful woman disrupt a dinner party that he's attending at a religious leader's house. She busts in and pours perfume on Jesus and weeps over his feet, washing his feet with her tears and her hair. In that time, letting your hair down as a woman, it was an intimate act. So, I mean, it's in a, all this in a religious dude's house. And Jesus allows it and honors her. Jesus forgives and saves a woman that's headed to death after being caught in the act of adultery. You know, when his disciples fail again and again and again and again, 
to understand just what it is that he's doing. He is patient with them. At one moment, right before he's about to head to the cross, he's already invested all all his time in these guys, and they start arguing about which one of them is the best, which one of them is the greatest, totally missing the point. And he still chooses them and entrusts them to carry the entire weight of his ministry. The list could go on and on. It could be a study, really. Moments he could have been offended and written people off, he isn't. When it comes to the lifestyles of people, especially like lost or hurting people, he is gracious and merciful and loving. In every instance, he tells the truth, which isn't comfortable, but he isn't offended. Now, he's not entirely unoffendable. There are moments when he seems offended. They're just kind of rare, a little unexpected. We see Jesus fierce over religious leaders making money off the temple. He literally flips tables over it. They were claiming something that did not belong to them, but it did belong to Jesus. He took that very seriously. He's fierce. We see Jesus offended at his own disciples for keeping little kids from him. They were shooing them away, undervaluing them because they're kids. So Jesus has them come near and then has this radical teaching about how the kingdom of God belonged to the kiddos. We see Jesus offended as he's about to head to the cross, which is his ultimate calling and purpose, the mission that he came to the earth to do. And he has a moment of gathering his disciples and saying, I'm going to die. Where I'm going, you can't come. And Peter, bless Peter, he cannot handle that information. Like he cannot even with that. And he objects passionately. And Jesus rebukes him, saying, get behind me, Satan. Significant. You know, do the things that offend you at all even remotely resemble the things that offended Jesus? Do you think it's at all possible to live as unoffendable as he did? You know, I've done a lot of studying here, and to be honest, this has left a little bit of tension for me, especially around the area um, of offense. Like, I wonder, um, is offense something we choose? We use terms like taking offense. I take offense to that. Like, is it, is it something I can take or leave? In order to be offended, do I literally have to grab a hold of it and entertain it and internalize it? If a holding anger or offense leads to foolishness, then how do we move forward? I don't have this totally figured out. But here is what I think, which is point four in your outline today. Grace might be the answer. Grace might be the answer. Grace is a term we use a lot. How would you define grace in your own words? What do I mean when I say grace? For me, I think of grace as an undeserved gift. Like it's above and beyond. And grace is compelling. I think about the first time I saw the musical Les Miserables. I saw the movie in theaters, not the musical. Sorry for you musical fans. But... Les Miserables follows a a man named Jean Valjean, and it's so powerful and such a beautiful picture of the gospel. In the movie theaters, I ugly cried watching it. Like I was (laughs) like wiping tears off my chin. 
kind of tears. It was that beautiful. But early in the musical, we see Jean Valjean homeless and struggling and taken in by a bishop. And in the middle of the night, he gathers all the silver he can find at the church. He takes off. And police find him in the middle of the night, which he says that they gave him all this silver, which was a lie. So police drag him back in to be confronted and accused of what was the truth, that he was a thief. And the bishop sees him and immediately demands that he, he's freed. He runs and grabs two, two other candlesticks and says, you forgot these two. Take these. And in that moment, he's freed. It's a beautiful moment of undeserved above and beyond kind of grace. And it changes the whole trajectory of his life. Where have you seen or experienced moments of grace? You know, in Jesus' famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, he describes ways to be gracious in the face of offensive circumstances. In Matthew 5, 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. I don't know about you, um, but I read this and it feels awfully intimidating. Definitely convicting. Um, this is not intuitive. This kind of grace is so beautiful to see and so hard to live. And this is just a piece of Jesus' super famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches about what a life transformed by him looks like. Um, and spoiler alert, all of it sounds hard. Loving our enemies is a really hard task to take on by ourselves. Overlooking offense is hard. Practicing grace um, sounds really nice. In actuality, it's, it's very hard and really inconvenient. Now, I think we should try to practice moments of grace, create habits of grace in our life. Sure, we should try to be less busy and try to prefer others and try to be attentive and try to be patient and try harder to be better. Sure. But if it's all on our own steam, if it's all on my own steam, it's not going to last long. I promise you. But when I am transformed through God's power and presence and grace within me, within us, it's only then that this can be who we are. Through our connection to God, we can be transformed. And true transformation isn't about stopping something or trying harder. It's about becoming someone. True transformation isn't about stopping something or trying harder. It's about becoming someone through our connection to God. This is what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 15 about the hand-washing bit. We can so easily think it's about our behavior, like that, that I can do, do, do thing, behavior, that thing. When really it's about our hearts. So point five in your outline today, to be givers of grace, we must be receivers of grace. To be givers of grace, we must be receivers 
of grace. Receiving grace and forgiveness, um, experiencing it truly, it does something to us. It does something to our hearts. It's God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms us. When that sinful woman interrupted the dinner party at the religious guy's house, and she washed you know, Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, Jesus had this teaching really directed at the religious leaders, where he said, hey, who would love the most? And the answer was the one that had been forgiven of the most. Those who have been forgiven of much, love much. Those who have been forgiven, forgive. You know, sometimes some of us can be so involved with things about Jesus and church that we miss him. Some of us know all the right answers. We've been doing church for a long time, but we could use his grace afresh today. We need to be reminded, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, of just how forgiven we are, that we need him and his grace and his forgiveness today. Some of you feel entirely unworthy of God's grace and forgiveness, which we all are, but some of you really struggle to receive this. You would rather earn it. Or when it comes to grace and forgiveness, you can think, yes, that's nice for them, not for me. If you only knew, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew where I've been, it's too ugly, it's too bad, too scandalous. In the final moments of Jesus' life, when he was innocent of any crime and sentenced to death, a moment that warranted the highest offense, if any, how does Jesus respond? He prays, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God took the greatest offense of all time and he transformed it into the greatest gift of all time, bringing us back to connection to him, relationship with him. The truest scandal, if I can call it that, it's our gospel. The true scandal is that the grace of God goes all the way to the very bottom of the worst of the worst offenses. Even there, his grace is enough. It is. Your scandal is not the true scandal. God's grace that covers you is. To be givers of grace in the offense, or in the face of all the offense that comes our way. We have got to be receivers of that today. It's only then that we have a shot at living like he did. So let's pray, let's pray. God, we place our hearts before you now. We want to receive grace afresh today. You say that your mercies are new every morning, but they are unending. God, help us to know and believe that there is enough grace and forgiveness for us today. There is enough. It is enough. For people who feel undeserving, unworthy, who struggle to receive this, or who would rather earn it, would you speak to their hearts right now? Would you give them rest, God? We're going to have a moment to respond. So with heads bowed in here, if you are here and you feel like at some point you took a hold of anger or offense, and now anger and offense has a hold of you, it's consumed you, you can't let it go, it's destructive to you and your relationships, and you feel exhausted. 
we wanna pray for you. So with heads bowed in here, if that's you today, will you just slip up a hand? Slip up a hand, okay, great, thank you, I see you. Thank you, okay, put your, you can put your hands down. God, right now we just lay these friends at your feet. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would restore and transform them, their hearts and their minds. God, I pray for freedom and joy and rest for each of them in the name of Jesus. God, would you give strength and courage to lay their fear, their pain, their disappointment, their anger, all of it, their offense at your feet, Father. You know them and you can handle their honesty. God, would you speak over them your love and your delight in who they are and who you created them to be. And remind them, God, that they are not alone, that you are with them. You never leave us. You are strong when we are weak. Thank you, God. If you're in here and you've never responded to God's grace, never really received it, and you would like to today, you can just pray this short prayer with me in your hearts. God, I recognize that you faced the ultimate offense for me, that you gave your life, you defeated death, that I might be connected to you. So God, I invite you. I place my trust in you. I ask and receive for your grace and your forgiveness to cover me today. Thank you, God, for being patient and loving. Thank you, God. It's in your name I pray, amen.